A Gathering in the Woods Written by Mike Duke Barry Richards lay on his bed, leaning on a stack of pillows, his Walkman headphones blaring Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. He played the air drums with a frenetic vigor in between scribbling notes for his next journalistic endeavor. Granted, it was for his high school newspaper, but still, he took his duty to bring the students of Edinburgh High the truth and nothing but the verified truth, dead serious. He refused to write something that was pure speculation or based on secondhand stories. He needed to see this one himself. His bedroom door opened, the poster with the alien breaking through a door swinging out of sight. The movement caught his eye and startled him. Ma! <clears throat> he started to yell, looking up. The complaint died in his constricting throat. It wasn't his mother. It was Christy Beasley from school, his best friend, and the crush he could never bring himself to ask on a date since 10th grade. If he didn't do it before graduation, it might never happen. Barry scrambled to pull the headphones off and sit up. Hey, Christy, he sputtered and blushed. What's up? She put her hands on her hips. I don't know, she said, her left eyebrow cocked and locked with skepticism. That wasn't much of a welcome. Her face bordered on a scowl. Barry couldn't find words. The proverbial cat had snagged a claw in his tongue. He was dumbstruck. His ego shriveled in the presence of her displeasure, her gaze like an atomic blast, turning him into a pillar of ash. He envisioned her kicking him. He disintegrated, and she just knocked his dust off her boots and sauntered right back out of the room with a flip of that beautiful long red hair. Well? She asked, drawing the word out, her expression transforming into one of confusion. Barry's mind snapped back into reality. He looked into her eyes. Nothing. He had nothing. Christy dropped her scowl and plopped down on the bed by his feet. Jeez, man, she said, slapping his shin. For God's sake, relax and speak. She shook his head with the last word. A nervous laugh escaped Barry's throat. He looked away, pulled his legs up, and swung them over the edge of the bed. Sorry, he managed to say. You surprised me, and then I thought you were really pissed. I was just fucking with you, she said, and reassured him with a light backhand slap to his arm. Now tell me, she continued, what's on your agenda today? You still going out to that farmer's field you told me about? That's the plan, he said, pushing his glasses back up into position. Rick, my source, called me a half hour ago. I was writing down my notes from the conversation when you came in. Awesome! Her eyes lit up, lit up the room, lit up Barry's whole world. So, when are we going? You really want to go? He asked. I thought you didn't believe in any of this Satan worshiper stuff. No, I never said that. I told you I don't believe in Satan, 
but I'm sure there's people out there who worship him and do some seriously weird shit. Christy laid back across the end of the bed and extended both arms above her head. So, she continued, whenever you're ready to go. Barry looked over at Christy and tried not to stare at her exposed midriff. Her ivory skin stretched taut, radiant in the afternoon sunlight streaming in through the window. Her abdomen sloped gently down, disappearing beneath the waist of the skin-tight jeans she wore. Her thighs were lean and muscular, and Barry loved to watch them blaze down the high school track, pumping at a furious pace to defeat her competitors. He looked away and stood, a dozen snapshots already taken by his mind's eye in those couple of seconds. Okay, he said, let's do it, but you gotta help. You can't just be a pretty face. Barry flashed a grin as she bolted upright, playful offense painting her features, pursed lips and rose-red cheeks. He chuckled and she slapped him a little harder this time. Rat, she said. Barry pulled open the third drawer down on his dresser and retrieved a Polaroid camera and a case containing his Minolta 35mm with zoom and wide-angle lenses. He handed Christy the Polaroid. You're in charge of that one, miss, he informed her. Guard it with your life and never leave it behind. Aye, aye, Captain, she said and gave a salute. Let's do this. He grabbed his wallet, car keys, and a large hunting knife off his dresser, which he tucked into his waistband. Lastly, he picked up his denim jacket and slipped it on. A Metallica Master of Puppets patch covered the back of it, almost. Beneath it was a Megadeth logo. Along the arms and front of the jacket were a variety of patches. Anthrax, Testament, Dio, Iron Maiden... Buttons filled in the gaps along the lapels and pockets. Vic Rattlehead, Eddie, one that said, I am the walkin' dude, and another with the words, It's you and me against the world. Let's attack. Christy looked at his jacket and tapped the Let's Attack button with her finger. I remember when I got that for you, she said, her face softening with fond remembrance. Christmas before last. She patted it, her touch tender as she spoke. I like that one. It's still you and me, right? She asked. Taking on the world, together? You know it, Barry smiled and held up his closed fist. Wonder Twin Powers activate. Christy grinned big and bumped fists with him. All right. Barry began as they drove slowly down the back road in his parents' 85 Chrysler LeBaron. Rick said the field was exactly eight-tenths of a mile down once you took a right off Quaker Run Road on the Cypress Knee Trail, so we should be almost there. You said there's an opening in the woods, right? Yeah, that's what Rick told me, but I didn't ask if it's visible from the road. Well, that would be helpful information to have, Mr. Journalist. Barry ignored her. Point six, point seven, point eight. 
And here's the ditch line separating the two fields he mentioned. Barry pulled over onto what little shoulder there was, stopped, and turned the car off. Pocketing the keys, he grabbed the camera and locked the doors on his side. Make sure you lock both doors over there, please, he said to Christy. Got it, she told him as she pressed both locks down, closed the doors, and followed him, holding the Polaroid. Rick said get in the field on the right side of this ditch line and go all the way to the back. There should be an opening in the woods line near there. Harvest had come and gone, and they hiked across the empty field. As they neared the woods, Christy spoke up. Does that look like an opening? She asked, pointing at a black hole in the mottled canopy of browns, dull reds, and a handful of green spots still holding out. Barry followed her finger and squinted. I think so, he said. Barry stopped to pull out his Minolta. He put the wide-angle lens on and took a couple of pictures for perspective. Then he changed it out for the zoom lens and took some from that distance of the possible opening. Let's go see what we have, he said when done. As they drew near, both became convinced there was an opening there. They changed their course to make a beeline for it. From the road, it wasn't visible. Up close, however, they could see the gap between a couple of the trees. It was maybe six feet wide, but shrouded by small bushes and brambles flanking each side of the entryway. They paused at the opening to the forest and looked around. Barry spotted the rocks first. It was a small cairn, about eight to ten inches tall, made from numerous large skipping stones all of them flat and about two inches thick. Four layers comprised the configuration, with one stone capping the hole at the top. It was constructed behind one of the bushes, and the brambles gave it further camouflage. Whoa, Barry said at first sight, and pointed out the cairn to Christy. Holy shit, she muttered. It's a marker. This is it. Her stomach tightened a bit as the reality of the rumors sank in. It made her uneasy. Hold this bush back for me while I take some pictures, he said. He took a perspective shot and then a few close-ups from different angles. And let's get one with a Polaroid. Can you hand it here? Christy gave it to him. He took the picture, pulled it from the camera, and shook it lightly while he waited to make sure it was clear. Satisfied, after a couple of minutes, he handed the Polaroid back to her, and they entered the woods. The path along the dirt floor of the forest was well-traveled. They followed it between the trees for about twenty feet or so, before it opened on a clearing. They both stopped at the edge, looking around in awe. Before them sat a series of log benches. They were constructed from chopped-down trees which someone had debarked. Each log was laid across two sets of perches formed by stones stacked at meticulous opposing angles to cradle the improvised round bench seats. This had been repeated in three sets of three, the ones on the left and right canted inward to form a roughed semicircle outline. In front of the middle set, 
was the altar, constructed from a huge slice of beech tree sat on the ground. It was large enough two men encircling their arms about it could not touch each other's hands, and it was easily three feet thick. Leaning against the altar, facing out against the congregation, was an adult cow's skull. I'll be goddamned, Barry said. A genuine cow skull? Nothing about that looks fake. He hurried to put the wide-angle lens back on and get a shot that captured the whole clearing in one picture. Afterward, he made his way up to the front to more closely inspect the altar area. Jesus Christ, Christy, Barry said, waving her over. Look at this. This altar is covered in dried blood. And look around here. Barry picked up a small stick and prodded several small animal carcasses in various stages of decay. Some were quite older, the bones clean and free of any flesh. A few stunk, the meat bloated and soft. One possum skeleton lay on its stomach, the skin withered against its skull, fallen hair arrayed like a fortress wall on the ground all the way around the corpse. Some of the creatures had smashed heads. Of the handful that still possessed flesh, two appeared to have had their throats slit. Can you take some Polaroid shots, please? Barry asked Christy as he started taking pictures with his Minolta. He eventually put another roll of film in to get everything he wanted. There is zero doubt, he said, excited, that we have a cult of some sort here, making animal sacrifices along with God only knows what else, Barry said, shaking his head in wonder. In rural southeast Virginia, fucking animal sacrifices. Can you believe it, Christy? They both shook their heads in amazement. Does Rick know when the cult meets? Christy asked. Not exactly, Barry responded. Usually once each weekend, but it could be on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Just depends. Though sometimes they also show up in the middle of the week. Well, Christy said, tomorrow night is the winter solstice. Longest night of the year. That's supposed to carry some significance for dark cults and pagan practitioners. Damn, Barry said. You're right. I bet tomorrow night would be a great time to do a stakeout and get some pictures. Oh, I like the way you think, he said. I'll have to get a camouflage poncho to help me blend in. Better make that too, she said. What? He looked at her, incredulous. You think you're coming with me? This could be dangerous. You think you're gonna stop me? Christy countered and dared him to challenge her with a dead-eye stare. Barry turned away and cursed under his breath, then, louder, said, You are so frustrating sometimes, you know that? Of course I do. But you love it. He didn't see her gleeful, cat-that-ate-the-canary smile. Come on, he said, and turned to leave. We shouldn't hang around too long. Don't want to be seen. 
Christy followed him. As they walked across the field, she spoke. You think Rick would come out here with us tomorrow night? He might, Barry said, if he's not a pussy. He cut a glance at Christy and chuckled. Don't get too cocky there, Peter Parker, she said, and gave him a wink. Two fields over from where the Satan worshippers conducted their gatherings in the woods, Barry backed along the entrance to an old logging path that led into a cutover. There, he maneuvered the car behind some underbrush and young trees with the help of Christy and Rick and parked it. They arrived a couple hours before dark and walked to the road, making sure the car couldn't be seen. Once satisfied, they took their camouflage ponchos and skirted the wood line, jumping the ditch and arriving at the site. They all wore black pants and dark sweatshirt hoodies, as well as black gloves and black ball caps. Barry carried the Minolta 35mm with only the zoom lens and nothing else. He had left the Polaroid behind. Its range was crap, plus it was loud. Barry and Christy donned their ponchos and took up a position where they thought they'd be able to see the altar unobstructed by practitioners in the pews. Pulling the plastic tightly around their faces, they settled in, seated with legs crossed Indian style. Rick sat down behind them. For the next two hours, they remained still, butts going numb. They whispered occasionally when a noise stirred their excitement, but each time it turned out to be nothing but a forest animal or the wind. It was well past sunset when they heard the shuffling of numerous feet entering the woods and the sounds of human speech, though they couldn't make out any words yet. Christy patted Barry's leg lightly with tense excitement. They sat in silence and watched. The people were hidden in the darkness, but their movements were audible. A lighter sprung to life, a flickering flame igniting a torch which was placed in a holder attached to a tree. Over the next few minutes, several more were lit and placed, creating a circle of light surrounding the place of worship. Barry cheered inwardly at his luck. Yes, he thought. Looking beyond their circle of light will be near impossible. The light will hide us better than the ponchos. He lifted the Minolta and snapped several photos, trying to zoom in and get clear close-ups of as many faces as possible. Barry recognized several of them. The cultists were pulling on their black robes, red sashes tied about their waist. He counted twenty-two in total. One stood out among them, however, his robe red, the sash black, and he wore a goat skull mask with antlers. Barry assumed the man was the group's priest. He carried a leather-bound grimoire as he approached the altar and took his place behind it. Someone blew a ram's horn, and the worshippers filed into their designated seats and sat on the benches. Barry continued to take pictures each time he saw something new of interest. The priest opened their ceremony by speaking something in Latin. Barry couldn't make it out, but when the man finished, all the others responded. Praise Balaam! Praise Agrat Batmalet! 
These past weeks we have solicited the sexual powers of a grot but mollet through orgiastic bliss, the priest continued. And with much bloodshed and frenzied prayers, we have prepared the way for Balaam. Tonight we consummate our transformation. We shall open the way, and he shall cross over. He will bless us with the gift of obfuscation, the power to influence, and impart unto us the depths of his wisdom, cunning, and wit. We shall walk amongst the rich and poor, the mighty and the weak alike, doing as we please. Through seduction and shrewd intellect, we will establish ourselves and rape this world for all we desire. The priest raised his arms, and the congregation replied, Praise Balaam, praise Agrat Batmalat. Now, he continued, let us entreat our carnal lady's favor through blood and licentious rites, and open the way for Balaam that we might offer him a pleasant sacrifice acceptable to him. The priest lifted both hands and held them out, palm up. He waved them in invitation. Two hooded figures stepped out from the pews and made their way forward, one much shorter than the other. They stopped in front of the altar and disrobed, one male and one female, naked and exposed before their peers. The woman was sleek and lithe of frame, her breasts small, rounded, and standing at attention, nipples rigid. The man was barrel-chested and hairy, his abdomen thick yet solid, legs strong as tree trunks, arms muscular and long like a gorilla. Casting their clothing aside, they knelt and prostrated themselves, arms outstretched in supplication, heads bowed against the forest floor in submission. The priest spoke, and the two cultists stood and reached out their left hands above the altar. The priest retrieved a blade from his sash and drew it across each one's palm. Both clenched their wounded hand into a fist, squeezed, then opened it up over the altar, palm down. Blood flowed onto the wood. Do you see this? Barry whispered to Christy. This is crazy! You getting all this on film? She asked. You bet your perfect ass I am. Barry realized what he just said and froze. He refused to look in Christie's direction and prayed to God above she didn't notice. So you think my ass is perfect, huh? She asked him. Her tone possessed a hint of playfulness. Not now, not now, not now. He tried to ignore her and snapped more photos, but she wasn't having it. Well? She asked, leaning closer, her voice faint and breathy as she touched his knee. He turned and drew his face close to hers. Really? Three years I've been in love with you, and now, while our lives are in danger, you want to flirt with me? Really? Love? Christy mouthed. Yes! Barry mouthed back and put his fingers on her lips. Soft, full lips he'd admired for enough hours on end he was sure they might fill a calendar year. He leaned in and kissed her lips, a tender compression of their flesh. 
He lingered for only a couple of seconds, then pulled back. We'll talk later, but now focus. He pointed toward the altar. The priest stood there, an old blacksmith hammer in his right hand and a struggling rabbit in his left. He held it by the rear legs, squeezing them together. The animal twitched and twisted, head arching back, feet reaching for the earth. Barry watched as the man lowered the animal and allowed it to rest on the altar. Run, rabbit, run, he muttered. And the rabbit ran with all its might, going nowhere fast. Its front legs pawed with furious energy, straining to free itself from the priest's grip and burst into a sprint. But its lucky little rabbit feet only slipped across the blood-soaked wood in a blur. The man spoke in Latin, or perhaps Celtic now, Barry thought. Exhausted, the rabbit paused to rest, then began again, desperate. Its eyes were frantic, the breathing labored and alarmingly fast. It was a cruel joke the priest perpetrated on the rabbit, the hope of escape. As the rabbit rested from its frenzied struggle once more, the robed man laughed and brought the hammer down. Christy threw a hand over her mouth to stifle a gasp. Barry's jaw went slack. The rabbit's skull shattered beneath the metal, reduced to nothing more than a bloody pulp of mutilated flesh mixed with bone splinters and gray matter. Thick, bright red blood flowed from the corpse and covered the altar. The couple before the altar embraced, pressed their bodies tight against one another, and kissed deeply, tongues intertwining. Barry snapped more photos and ran out of film. He cursed silently and set about putting in a new role as quietly as possible. The priest tossed the dead rabbit next to the altar, where Barry and Christy had found the various animal corpses earlier in the day, then turned, reached down into a cage, and withdrew another one and laid its feet on the slick altar. The rabbit ran with all its might. The process was repeated. The writhing sexual foreplay of the naked cultists continued unabated throughout the slaughter. Again and again, the blood of another slain rabbit mixed with the crimson ooze of its recently fallen comrades, plus that contributed by the cultists. After slaying the sixth rabbit, the priest spoke an offering. The congregation repeated the prayer and lifted their hands. As they did so, the naked woman knelt, resting her forearms and elbows on the forest floor and arching her back, offering herself to her lover. The man knelt behind her, kissed her shoulders, and raked his nails down her back. Slipping inside her, his hips moved smooth and steady at first, then escalated to a frenzied pace. The priest swung the bleeding rabbit corpse in an X pattern, splashing the couple with blood as they fornicated together beneath the full moon. Christy gripped Barry's leg. Out of fear or excitement or a combination of the two, he couldn't tell. The priest tossed the rabid carcass with the others and withdrew one more. For your pleasure, Agrat Batmalat, the priest shouted. For your pleasure, Agrat Batmalat, the congregation repeated as one with zealous enthusiasm. 
Grant us favor, our dark lady. Grant us favor, our dark lady. Open the way. Open the way. That Balaam may walk among us and bless his people with gifts. That Balaam may walk among us and bless his people with gifts. With cunning, stealth, and visions of the future. With cunning, stealth, and visions of the future. Our mother, Agrat Batmalat, grant us the power of seduction, the priest announced. Of control! With but a look or a touch, the caress of our breath, both the poor and rich, the weak and mighty alike. The worshippers mumbled prayers as they drew blades and cut themselves, pleading for the approval of their gods. They cast handfuls of crimson at the altar and wailed to the night. The hammer fell once more, and the woman wailed in pleasant surprise at the sound. Her lover's pelvic onslaught increased, both in force and velocity, a sudden urgency obvious to all. The priest flung hot blood on them again, and the man roared, bellowed his dominance, his victory, the sacrifice of his seed spilling into the vessel of power, her, the opener of the way. The man collapsed onto his back, his body spent, lungs struggling for oxygen. His lover rose and turned, her skin shining with sweat and blood beneath the pale moonlight. Barry took another picture, paused and took another, as she sauntered toward the altar with the grace of a jaguar goddess. Something's different about her, he thought, and felt himself grow hard at the mere sight of the woman now. He watched her through the zoom lens, noting her posture was perfectly upright now, shoulders back, head held high. Her hips swayed, sultry and sweet to the eye, snaring Barry with a level of desire he'd never experienced. The priest bowed before the woman, and all the worshippers emulated him. Agrat Batmalat, he said in reverence. Our goddess, our mother, our love, you bless us with your presence. He drew a blade and slit his wrist, offering it to her. She accepted his offering, her touch delicate, her movements elegant, exquisite. She brought her mouth near, lips parting, tongue lapping the blood tenderly from his skin. Your libation pleases me, Brutus, she said, and released his arm. Brutus gripped his bleeding wrist with his free hand, bowed, and thanked her profusely. Now, she continued, where are the sacrifices? They're here, goddess. All heads turned as one. The priest and every congregant looked in unison at Barry and Christie. Oh, shit, Barry said, heart seeming to stop and rise in his throat, blocking his airway. Christie's fingers spasmed and dug into Barry's leg. We gotta get out of here, he said to Christie and turned. Bring them to me. A grot but Mollet commanded. Barry grabbed Christy and went to stand, eyes searching for Rick. But Rick was nowhere in sight. 
Instead, several black-robed figures stood before them. Barry jerked Christie's arm, pulling her with him as he spun and took off, looking for a way out between them and the altar. A ram's horn trumpeted. The worshippers roared and sprinted along intersecting lines, trying to head them off. Barry and Christie cut left and right, darting one way, then another, using trees as obstacles to block their pursuers. But it was no use. In the darkness, their vision narrowing, depth perception degrading, a mistake was unavoidable. Barry ran into a tree, forehead smacking the bark and bouncing off. He fell and hit the ground with a thud. Christy turned back for him, and it was all over. The black robes swarmed like shadows. Barry's vision came swimming back, his feet like lead boots, dragging one moment, then clumping along the next, legs wobbling, his body supported more by others than his own power. Ahead of him was Christy, hands tied behind her back. He tried to move his own hands and realized they were bound as well. The two of them were led to the altar area. Christy was shoved down on the altar itself before the radiantly beautiful woman standing there awaiting them. Barry felt someone press him against a tree nearby and hold him there, a hand posted against his chest. He struggled to clear his mind, swiping at cobwebs and struggling to think of an escape plan. He remembered the knife tucked in his waistband and tried to focus on it, see if he could detect it there. Yes, it was there, but slipped down beneath his belt along the crease of his underwear line. They might search me, he thought. Barry shimmied his leg, shaking the blade free and allowing it to fall down inside his pants until it rode against his ankle. He moaned and shook his head back and forth. The man pinning him to the tree growled a command to stay still. Barry flicked his foot a couple of times, and the knife fell to the ground. He stepped on it and dragged it back closer to him. Take that poncho off him, he heard a familiar voice say to the man in charge of him. And check for a knife. He had it on him earlier. Barry followed the sound. It was another worshipper in a robe. He squinted, but no face was visible. His caretaker pulled at his poncho roughly, jerked it up over his head and tucked it behind his neck. The man patted his belt line tucked his fingers inside and ran them around the circumference of Barry's waist. Nothing here, the man informed the other. Must have fallen out while he was running around and crashed into that tree. The man nodded. Fine, sit him down so he can watch. The man pushed down on Barry's shoulders, forcing him to sit and lean against the tree. Barry rolled on his right side, fumbled quickly around on the ground and gripped the knife palming it along the inside of his forearm. The man lifted him back into a seated position, leaning on the tree. Barry looked up to see a robed figure squatted in front of him. The man pulled the hood back and looked him in the eye. Rick, Barry spat. You fucking bastard. Rick laughed. Why? Barry asked. I thought we were friends. 
Barry, 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 he said. I was your friend. But the bonds of worship are unbreakable, and you just couldn't let it go, could you? Barry was silent. No, Barry, Rick answered for him. You couldn't. You wouldn't. So we have to silence you. Rick drew his index finger across his throat. Out of the corner of Barry's eye, he saw several cultists begin to rip and cut Christie's clothes off. Barry jerked against his bonds. Don't you dare fucking hurt her! Hate burned in Barry's eyes. Sorry, Barry. She's the main course. The sacrifice we owe Balaam when he arrives. Damn you, Barry said and glowered, impotent and brimming with frustration. Rick patted his leg and stood up. Enjoy the show, Barry. It's the only time you'll ever see her naked. And when we're done with her, we'll probably feed you to Balaam as well, if it pleases him to consume you. If not... Rick shrugged his shoulders and grinned. We'll just chase you around with spears and swords and make a grand old sport of your demise. <laughs> Good times. Rick pulled the hood back over his head, turned, and walked away. Barry fumbled to get the knife out of the sheath and line the blade up against the rope. He moved it up and down in a short motion, thankful that his father had taught him how to keep a keen edge on his knives. He watched in horror as they finished removing Christie's clothes and laid her on her back. The naked lady began chanting in a foreign tongue. Here and there, Barry made out the name Balaam. A wind kicked up, whipping through the treetops, then working its way down toward the forest floor. Christie's long hair fluttered and waved in the growing breeze. Barry strained against the bonds as he continued to saw... They popped and fell from his wrists. He looked around as he reached into his front pocket and withdrew the car keys. Everyone was focused on the naked lady and the space behind her. He watched as the rest of the cultists began to undress while chanting along with the lady. The men looked on Christy with lust in their eyes. Barry gripped the knife, then launched himself to his feet and into an instant sprint. He surprised them all, thrusting the blade into the naked lady's back first, then dragging Christy off the altar and cutting her bonds in haste. Something swirled in the woods beside him, leering, growing, opening. He flinched, and the blade bit into the back of Christy's hand. He ignored it and pressed the car keys into her palm. He felt her fist clench over them. Run! He shouted into her ear and pushed her towards the pews where no worshippers stood. Don't you stop, no matter what! Christy hurdled the first pew, landed on the second, bounded, and hit the ground running on the other side of the third. Barry rushed the nearest male, catching him with his pants down, literally, and drove the blade into the man's spleen, shoulder impacting his chest a moment later, knocking the shocked cultist off his feet. Get her! Barry heard the woman yell. The men and women both took off after Christy, ignoring Barry for the moment. 
he ran toward the opening leading to the field. I've got to run interference for Christy. He intercepted the lead cultist and slashed his leg. The man stumbled and fell. Barry turned to face the others, but was knocked over in a stampede of naked flesh. He fell, tumbled, and flailed out, cutting calves, ankles, and Achilles' tendons. Many stumbled and fell, but not all of them. A few made it to the field uninjured. Run, Christy! he hollered. Run! Behind him, a deafening roar erupted and echoed through the woods. Barry scrambled to face the altar. Behind it lumbered the impossible. A naked man, with skin the color of brimstone, rode atop the back of an enormous grizzly bear. Gigantic ram horns sprouted out of the bear's skull and curled about once, then pointed forward, ready to impale any adversary. The bear roared again, lips flapping, spittle flying. The man's head was thrown back, white teeth filed razor sharp, shining bright and luminous. Barry thought the man was roaring too, but could not distinguish separate sounds between the rider and his steed. The bear reared up on its hind legs, its head reaching halfway up the trees. It roared once more, then dropped back down to its feet and charged. Barry's bladder and bowels released. He scrambled to his feet in utter terror, trying to flee, but it was too late. The beast covered incredible distance with each stride. The bear's left horn gored Barry, lifting him up as it trampled the injured cultists, groveling before it. Barry screamed in pain. The cultists had lost the girl. Failed to offer the sacrifice, Balaam was due. He was not pleased, and one should not disappoint a devil from the pits of hell. The bear tossed its head and flung Barry's body out into the field before bowing down to grasp a woman's torso in his maw and shake until her limbs severed and flew off. He chomped twice and swallowed, swatting others with monstrous claws as he wheeled and turned at his master's bidding. Heads rolled, arms and legs tumbled through the air. Barry gasped and stared at the stars, his lifeblood rushing from his body. He thought of Christy and hoped for her escape. Christy ran. Ran like a cheetah on crack after the only gazelle left in the whole fucking world. She gripped the keys, elbows pumping, and never looked back. They can't catch me, she told herself. I'm the wind. I'm the fucking wind, a goddamn hurricane twister. You can't catch me. You can't catch me. I was made to run. She heard the footfalls of her pursuers fade away until only hers remained. Motherfuckers, she screamed, a cathartic release. I was made to run. She howled a rebel yell at the night and never stopped until she reached the car. She knew Barry wasn't coming. She jumped in, managed to start the car, slapped it in gear, 
and turn the headlights on. As she punched the gas, four figures appeared in front of her. She held her foot down, plowing through them, and sailed out onto the pathway leading to the road. She drove like a bat out of hell and never stopped until she reached the police station, wondering the whole time if they would even believe her. <laughs>